Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Hi, my name is John Antill. I live currently in Edinburgh, Indiana, formerly from Augusta, Georgia, formerly from Huntsville, Alabama, formerly, formerly, formerly a lot of different countries, states, and uh, grew up in uh, southeastern Idaho. Currently, the most interesting thing near me, Edwin, is the Doctor Who Museum. It is the only museum for Doctor Who outside of the UK. I absolutely love working in knowledge management, as most people will attest. They think that's the only thing I can do. I love making sawdust in my spare time. The most interesting and fascinating fact from my job, I was working with a chief warrant officer. Those chiefs, they're the backbone of the army. They're the ones that really get drive at it. Well, she was having a problem. And so she said, hey, can I have a site on SharePoint where I can put all my documents? And I'm like, all right, chief, not a problem. I can hook you up right now. But why? And she goes, huh? I said, why do you need a site? She goes, well, I need to put all my documents there and these students got these certifications that I got to track. And I was like, okay, why? Well, it's part of this military intelligence classification advisory process. I said, okay, why are you doing all this extra work? And she went, well, what do you mean? You know, I can automate most of your job and save you some time. Overall, we developed a program that saved a little over 2,247 hours. So if you equate that to the standard GS employee, that's uh $100,000 a year, small savings for the U.S. government, less than like $14 million. But her problem wasn't that she didn't have a good program. It was her overall process where she would track them, where it's stored, and how many trouble tickets that had to be done. And we combined it all into one site. And now that is being used by Cybercom as classification advisory program. If you times my savings by a little over 140 cyber units, that will be the current savings to U.S. Cybercom. Back to you, Edwin. You brought up a great point. What you hit on, most people, generally speaking, will come to you and say, like your example, I need a site. I need a SharePoint site to store stuff, which is like, wait a minute. That's really not exactly what it's built for if you think of all the workflows you can do. But... You handled it the best because you kept saying, why, why, why? Because you got to peel that onion to get down to, you can understand what the root issue is because you're going to come at it at a different angle than the client or the one that perceives the problem as the problem as they see it. And so you had to transform that into a better case in order to find a better solution. Now you could have, if you'd have been a slacker uh, and said, oh, okay, chief, here you go, there you go. And she went on her happy little way and you would have never known any different and she was happy. But you inquired and you were inquisitive. So how does that show up in your daily work? Do you see people that are just better at being inquisitive? And how do you train that? So I just recently did some work about that because it's interesting that people want to find out more information. They want to know why everything's going on, but kind of hard to drag it out of them when they don't realize that what they're doing can be improved. Not every process is broken, but every process can be evaluated for some examples. 
in knowledge management, the biggest thing that I've found that we have an issue with is metrics. We don't know how to quantify apples and oranges. So apples and oranges cause us issues. If we have apples and oranges, when we start, that's fine. We can say, okay, we got one apple, one orange. But later on, when we go to it, when we got a banana and a pineapple, how do we work off of that? If you look at it from a holistic view, you can always find a metric that you can identify with. For this case, with that warrant officer, I actually had to go back and research everybody's service level agreements. And that's how I found it. Building a program on top of running a KM program for a few agencies at one time. It allowed us to show the the start metric and the end metric in a way that resonated with the command. Walk that dog a little further. What are you saying was the metric? The personnel you're tracking or what what was tangible? So on this, we um, utilized uh, several metrics. One of the metrics was the downtime of training from loss of training. People weren't reminded. So how do you let them know that? Workflow, of course, automated. Hey, do your training. Hey, do your training. And then it got to the point of, okay, it includes the chief. Okay, you're still not doing it. And it starts including bosses. The bosses now start getting that announcement and they go, no, no, no. You're my only classification person on hand right now. Go do your training. Get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So it was cool. You know, that decreased from 65 days down to a positive of 15 days. So we were now ahead of time, which was cool. The other metric that we took was how long does it actually take a document from start to finish? What is the service level agreement that group has? And we found out that some have, you know, 72 hours from the time they did it. One organization had over a thousand. And these are just man hours that you're sitting waiting for something. Right, Um, right. Tick tock, tick tock, right? Every second is a dollar. You know, we looked and identified what we could use. And that was actually fairly interesting because we had no metrics to start out with. You know, it was five different sites. We were correlating a lot of data together. Just went from the identification of, okay, what are the two main issues that we got? It takes forever to get something done. The second part was, you know, we kept losing CAOs. What's your abbreviation? The classification advisory officers. Those are the guys that really do a brunt of the work in the MI field. Because anytime you write an article, anytime you do anything, These people have to go through and classify every single line. So they are a good powerhouse. I want to talk more about how you went fishing for what counts in metrics, because I think most organizations are hard pressed to try to gather up sufficient and or proficient or useful things to watch, things to measure, uh, success or failure or monitoring. What would be your best advice to somebody that's sitting down, looking at a problem, a rub, and say, this is how you approach this to try to pull out what counts? That's actually fairly easy, believe it or not. It's actually the easiest part of this whole thing. What's enabling the bottom line? So for the military, we already have a budget pre-approved. We're doing this. We don't really see it because we've got workers, stuff like that. We're doing our work. So the only thing that we can really identify savings on is time. And that's what it's going to be. So what I looked at was how do I enable the classification advisory team to get a turnaround quicker on these documents? And believe it or not, the first thing we started was maybe each of these sections has 72 hours to do it. 
we blew that out of the water. We actually ended up with like 800 plus documents in less than five minutes for average turnaround time. That was a big achievement versus the other way. And because everybody was sending them via email. Processes should not be in there. If organizations are still hinging that their processes are tied to somebody's flipping email, they're shooting themselves in the foot and not looking forward. And you actually find that common. A lot of organizations are still staying in email. I've been interviewing a lot for different KM positions because that's what a good KM does is always goes out and tries to expand their knowledge base. But what I'm finding out is that people keep everything in their email. And that's what's really starting to hurt organizations. Going around this and looking at it, at what can be changed to gain. And I think most organizations could recognize how do we conserve or save dollars, right? Or time, or usually they're, they're basically the same thing, two different resources, but they equate to bottom line money. And uh, yep. so I think once you can get a CFO or somebody in the holding the gold bag to say, you know, I can help the leak in this bag right here with doing this, I think that helps to get their attention. But I still think most folks would have a hard time. How do I track the widgets in this? That's the cool part. It's cost avoidance. We're not talking about saving money. CFOs want to know how they can avoid costs. Okay. And that's the big thing. Enable the organization to avoid cost. And if you can explain that, that's on their dollar, you know, on their time. Was risk a factor? I'm just rethinking how you said this rolled out. And there seemed to be, there There might have been a risk if the person did not renew or go do the training, right? Is there a risk factor that was also played into this? Yeah, there's a very high risk factor that these organizations were dealing with that turned it into a very low one afterwards. That's the nature of the beast is that we can only identify what are brought to us um, or that we observe. Right. I had a great talk with an HR lady last night about retirement, knowledge retention, identifying where we need to start looking at it because it's part of that hundred coffees. You know, you've seen that trend going around on LinkedIn. Tell me what that hundred coffees mean. The hundred coffees is a goal of anybody on LinkedIn. If you want to participate, there's a group, but it's to have a hundred different VTCs, phone calls, text message, conversations with 100 people in 100 days. And I've gotten a little bit over that, but I've been able to talk to people from China all the way to South America, and we can go as far north as some people in Alaska and Russia. What I've started to notice is trends among people. And it's primarily interesting because there's two KM thought trains in the world. One is the Africa, Asia, Europe, Russia, where people is the most important part. That is where they focus their goals and stuff on. It's getting the people the information. Whereas in the U.S., it's systems. You know, we have this content management system. Content management systems are great, used correctly. There's a case study about Dell, and I love Dell. They developed good programs and their content management system was designed for the U.S. It did not translate to the Japanese culture. I mean, so now you got a cultural issue. So how do we decolonize our thinking? Because that's going to be the biggest change in KM for the world. Because in the U.S., we have a very colonialized approach where I take it as approach of I need to gain the people's trust. I need to be able to help the people themselves. Good example is one of employees I work with who has never touched SharePoint or coding in her life. 
I built a shelf for her and said, okay, hey, this is an in-processing thing. And when she took it and ran with it, I gave her the permissions needed for her to do her job. She started doing color coding and all these different things. I mean, it was like, but the biggest thing that I took out of it was she has a thirst for knowledge. I mean, heck, I read science magazines all the way to everything else. Um, they call me the mad scientist around here. <laughs> Hence the reason you know Doctor Who's information. <laughs> yes, taught her and I've taught the rest of the teams how to use the new tools. And most of the time I do it on a one-on-one basis. Fostering a culture or environment of inquisitive people, your ability to give somebody the keys that didn't have any, the person didn't have that expertise, so to speak, as some folks might have credentials, but she played with it enough to figure out things and came up with her own solutions. Is, is that what yeah. you're saying? Basically, I told her, go ahead and try to break it. You're not going to break it. Right. I'm here to back you up and to help fix stuff when you need yeah. it. I'll go out and I'll do the research for you. I'll do everything else. But when it comes down to it, you're the one. I'll give you a code. You're changing that code. Yeah. You're building that platform tool. Yep. Customize it as you will, right? Yep. I want to pull on that a little bit because what that hints to is helping someone become innovative. That is kind of, if you wanted to put it into perspective, somebody walking out on thin ice, not knowing how thick it is, but you're saying, come on, come on. It's all right. It's safe. It's safe. And once they feel a little safe, they can even expand even farther. But in knowledge management and innovation, don't you think that a general phrase, most organizations rely on tools and not the people mm -hmm. to steer any kind of process. As they say in the classroom anymore, they flipped the, you flipped it and you basically gave them the platform and said, go see what you can do Yeah, um, without any prescription other than some examples or whatever you provided to start with. Um, the biggest thing is trust. That is something that you have to have that innate ability. If you don't trust somebody, then you have an issue on a cultural and a, as a personal issue. I was new to the organization. They were working with me. I came from an organization where we developed the saying, yes, I can help you. Let me find the way. And instead of saying no, our culture at uh, Joint Force Headquarters Cyber is, yes, how can I help you today, sir and ma'am? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Who set that culture? Who drove that? I have a little familiarity with some military commands and i can't say as i've ever just walked into a place that had that feel several people but mr leonard over there was number one champion of that i ran into issues before i'd go up to him he's assistant executive director you know he's the number two man in charge at jfhq hey sir uh, i got this issue what do you think we should do i we need to do this do it okay you know so he drove that yes command so everybody there adopted it you know that was my culture from 2014 to 2021 and i'm driving that culture here wow that's awesome that is awesome what would be your recommendation for anybody in an organization that wants to become that yes how can i help you start with yourself because it gets daunting by saying yes all the time because you're developing and building on yourself there's no way i could have been today where i am if i hadn't decided i was going to be a yes guy Yes, I'm going to write articles for Real Can. Yes, I'm going to help support Pioneer Knowledge Services. Yes, I'm going to do this. A good friend of mine, uh, Keith Davis, said, if it's easier to say yes and go help out somebody and do a couple hours worth of work than it is to sit there and worry about them. 
it's the very worst. You're having an adult beverage while they're working. You can at least hold their adult beverage too. So <laughs> everybody can do something. You know, it's one of those things that feeds upon itself. I get what you're saying because that behavior can go positive or negative, right? And in your case, your instance here, you're talking about positively reinforcement not only for yourself, but as an external. And that feeds itself. People start to react with that and, and probably react from that. I, I think that is an easy way to go. I wish there was a magic button I could just transform some people with uh, to be that way. I think you hit it right on the head. You have to start with yourself. It's just like leadership. These are traits that people see and they understand uh, more about you as a person. And then that goes back to what you said. You've got to build trust. And once you can have that relationship of trust, then pretty much everything's on the table. Right now, I mean, they've got me covering down on a lot of stuff here because I can do it. It's something that I've changed. I need some help with my computer. Okay, what do you need? I might be in the middle of something, but it's not, hey, submit a work ticket, submit a trouble ticket. Send me. I say, hey, send me an email to remind me that I need to do that for you. And I find that they have no problem sending me the email to remind myself to do something I told them I was going to do for them. My pet peeve for software development is, and see if this has changed from your perspective, from my experience was a software development or IT solutions always started with what are the client's requirements? And to me, that is a false start because if I have to come up with the requirements of something, I don't know what the capacities are, then that's an illogical place to start. If we go back to your expression of why, 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 you help me or the client figure out what the hell the requirement should be because I could tell you something because I think it's like that, but it's not. Until you get down to that root, you're never going to know what could be. How do you adopt a better way to where you don't blockade people from innovation by saying, oh, give me your requirements and we'll build the widget? So I'm actually going through that right now. And I said, okay, how can I best do this scenario, right? And I said, these are things that I know I can do for you right now. What else do you need me to make this tool work for you? And then that's where they'll go, well, you did a great job starting out. I need this, this, and this added to it. Hey, can it do this? And it's like, yeah, because my motto is, how can I help you help yourself by asking me? Because I put it back on myself, if I have the information that you need, it does no good for me to say, okay, what are your requirements? They may not know what they need to know. No, everybody has an idea of what right looks like. Give me what that looks like from your perspective. Let me help yourself because that's what my job is. I've got the best job in the world as a knowledge manager. I come into work. (laughs) I get to talk to people. No two days are ever the same. When I finish a project, it's that smile on their face that, man, you just saved me so much time. Time is something that I can't give you back. But if I can help reduce the amount of time that you're spending on something, I can start clearing a little bit more white space for you. Well, and I commend you because bottom line, the customer you're serving is the American taxpayer. People that are paying to keep things running, DOD, Army, all those outfits, 
it takes a responsive responsible i'll say personality to think of it that way and whatever you save at the near term or within your grenade range of effect it it all feeds or conserves the bottom line and the big thing is so right now my bottom line is time and that's all it is time for that because a lot of people waste time redoing a product because somebody else wants it another way that's why i always go okay yes i can help you what are you looking for in help what can i do for you why do you need it that way there's a million ways to ask a question the biggest one is ask because like the chief said she didn't know what sharepoint could do it was brand new to her and it's like well they don't know what capabilities are maybe i should start training everybody at the baseline yeah that's a great point it's very much kind of a Columbo framework of trying to get down to what the essence is to understand. I appreciate that long look into f- customer service. That's what it is. It's trying to understand the customer. Mm-hmm. And half the time, that, as you said, they don't know what the heck they want because they don't know what could be. The tools change. They may not have gotten training. I mean, who taught you how to use email? Uh, I kind of figured it out on my own. So there's probably some things I could probably teach you on how to work email better. I love doing little brown bag lunches, little stories, because they're bite-sized. They can be done in five minutes. If you're having email problems right now, please create two rules. You'll love them. Two and a CC rule. And the two is anything you're in the two line. The CC is anything else. It's the noise that you've been carbon copied on, stuff like that. Put on your out-of-office reply. If you need me, please put me in the two line because tell you how many times people are like, I've got 892 messages. How much of those are noise? How much of those are news lists? And then we run that rule and it's, they've got like 90 emails because they just came back off the lead, you know, two rules. It gives some ability to not feel like you're the tail wagging the dog. It gives you an opportunity to help control your inflow. Mm -hmm. You're also right with the technology we've all grown to be accustomed to not really knowing what all it could do. Yeah. I mean, identifying second, third process effects, lessons learned with the farming, you know, you had your traditional agriculture. The farmers used to have the co-op. The smaller ones may still have them. They may have the roadside diner. Some may have gone online. Mm -hmm. Hydroponics, they're all online. They're always checking. I mean, they got sensors on sensors for their stuff. And then aquaponics, they're online too. But what this allows them to do is transmit the information at the speed of light. And then when I read it and I transform it with my current product, I've learned their lesson. I'm doing an instant change. And that's right there. That's where organizations need to look at where farmers don't know if change is going to be good until the end of crop season. Hydroponics got sensors. They can tell immediately if their plants are starting to get healthy or not. Same thing with aquaponics. So the speed of that lesson is the speed of the harvested crop. So knowledge is shared. Knowledge is exchanged. Lessons are learned, but they're implemented today. Yeah. You know, it's, well, we got a lesson learned database. You know, I've got 345 articles in there. I literally had an interview with a guy and he said, we've got 24,000 articles in our knowledge base. And I went, you do? He goes, yeah, they're, they're all great. I said, okay, when was the last time you curated them? Oh, um, we haven't done that yet. Are they peer reviewed? Um, no, we don't have a reviewing capability, allowing people to give it. Mm-hmm. I was like, 
So no thumbs up, no thumbs down. Um, where are you getting these uh, articles from? Well, the computer goes out and finds the information, oh puts it in form. Oh, yeah. the knowledge wasn't created by humans. The knowledge wasn't even built for humans. It was built for a computer. I like the, I've got five to 10 knowledge articles in my entire organization in a year. The guy who wrote them all was me. The guy who curates them all is me. And by the way, that's done every 90 days mm -hmm. because I want to make sure that the correct changes are there. We don't have a lot of knowledge, but what we do have in our repository is key. It's gold. Critical stuff. It's not just, you're not looking for the numbers. You're looking for content and quality and relevance. Yeah, that last word, that's a, that's a kicker. Here's another thing, everyone. What do companies do for the people who submit these knowledge articles? They don't normally give them any recognition or anything like that. Mm -hmm. At least the cyber COE, when they have their community of purpose platform up, they tell you how many articles that you've submitted. They tell you what the star level is for each peer review rating. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And on part of that, it's a military organization. So on there, it says influences outside your chain of command. And that is there because I can now say there's these articles. This is how many views there is, which we all know. I could sit on a computer, hit F5, um, and the computer is going to check that. How many people actually go in and rate a document? probably less than a third by allowing the peers to actually do it. Did you find this article helpful? Yes or no. Yep. Simple check, yep. check your notes. That's where your true knowledge in your organization lies. Getting that award. You're showing that to your boss as part of your performance review. Oh, and uh, they've been downloaded 10,000 times this year. That's pretty impressive. It is. Uh, so that's a metric that helps substantiate the why, why you would do that. For people that are looking for an answer, it gives them some validity to say, well, this this has got 16 thumbs. I'll go check it out. You know, it gives them an indicator that this might be worthy of checking out. It's, what, it's the way we develop knowledge and transmission. Always stumbling across new ways to do knowledge management. Um, I find nuggets in everything. That's why oh, I was talking to you earlier about um, yeah, the Wolves right. and Yellowstone. It was 1988. I lived in southeast Idaho. And that big fire came in and decimated it. As a kid, Yellowstone affected me, partially because of the smoke from the huge fire. But the other part, too, was the next report from them, which was, we need to relook our fire policy because it's beautiful. Yellowstone's growing back stronger and healthier. I remember those eight wolves that were introduced into Yellowstone, and I've been tracking them. And that's the cool part. I developed this timeline, right? In 1930s, we have... The last wolf in Yellowstone was removed by U.S. hunters. The good part for it, the elks flourished, but beaver population was down. We didn't know why. In 1968, they did a forestry analysis. They started knowing that aspen trees were in decline, willows were in decline, but we don't know why. They, we, we think it's the elks, but you know we're not quite sure. You know, It took from 68 to 95 for them to start realizing because the first year they started noticing the elks move instead of those great big million elk herds there were now like 50 60 elks in a herd and they were moving fast and not staying in the plains browsing instead of gorging on the young aspen and the young willows which fueled more tree stems which made them stronger well then you got the beavers right they now have their own food source so 95 there was one beaver colony so to bring it up to 2021 there's now 94 wolves running around uh, Yellowstone in eight different packs, and the beaver colony is at nine. Those are all second and third order effects. It's a paper on how wolves can change the course of a river. 
first developed by Yellowstone National Park. I read it and I said, you know what, I, there's a lesson here. What is the cause? You know, these are second and third order effects. Do we as knowledge managers sit there and recognize what our second and third order effects are? Most of the time, no. We uh, say, hey, we've got this brand new widget. You're going to use it. IT says it. And that's the thing. They don't understand the effect. Did you do any planning for it? Did you help them understand that this tool can do better? I want to touch on what you just talked about, because the biggest thing is you're talking decades to figure out things. It, it wasn't like, oh, this next quarter, we'll get this all figured out, you know, which is a business mindset. This is an environmental for lack of a better term, a scan of what's happening to understand better the cause and effect and the relationships. Don't you think that that would be a great mantra to bring into an organization and get out of that quarterly, monthly roll-ups, all this stuff? Because if, you don't, if you're ever really going to get to those second and third order effects, you really got to look at the environmental impact. You do. Um, you also have to look at future. There's a tool that I provided and helped build for Joint Force Headquarters Cyber that I first noticed in 16, 17 timeframe. The tool didn't get developed until 2020, but I had the foresight to start the planning on the tool. If that had been on a quarterly report, investors would have not given me any money. But because people have got that trust in me that, hey, he's going on the right path, let them go. KM departments, if you let them go, they're going to enable you with everything they got. What is John's definition of knowledge management? Getting people the right tool for the right process that they need to enable the organization to do the right thing, because that's our drive. At the end result, if the people don't want it, the people will never use it. Yeah. Key ingredient, right? People are what we do. I am a people person in customer service. I am, for lack of a better word, a leader servant. My people, if they don't have a problem that they bring to me, I am not successful. Uh, on that note, I think we're all successful with this. So thank you very much for your constant, and as you said in a podcast, support for Pioneer Knowledge Services. John is one of our longest standing contributors uh, on a monthly basis to keep us moving forward. So thank you, John, and thanks for being here. It was really great. Thank you, Edwin. I look forward to even more podcasts from you. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax-exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer-ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.